Well, God bless you tonight. What a blessing to be here in this church with this community. Um, I love the positive. Um, yes, every time I come in here, you guys have fixed something. You've improved something. What a beautiful auditorium remodel you did. And uh, parking out there on the asphalt. And about there was nice. And little details here and there that just say that you're doing everything for the glory of God. Um, my wife's family, Pam's family, the McCartney family, they arrived in Brazil in 1953. So it's about the time back when you guys were getting started with your ministry. And uh, what a generation that was and continues to be after the war was over that really began to go out and evangelize the world. We have an incredible debt to that generation. Um, when they went to Brazil back in those days, about 1% of Brazil was an, were evangelical Christians. That was non-Catholic. About 1%. Today, Brazil is about 40% evangelical Christians. And um, they have a very, very powerful voice in their country. And Brazil continues to be a very, very fruitful place for missionaries to, to live and to work. I just want to give you a quick update. What we've been doing in the last two and a half or three years... Uh, Pam and I, we, Pam's not seen our grandkids now for about three years, so we're back here in the States for two months to go visit the grandkids, well, our children too, and our, even those sons-in-law, you know, that's a little bit harder, but uh, uh, we're, uh, we're here to visit them, and the pandemic caught us too. I had COVID, Pam did not. I think she has got more faith than I do, maybe, but um, we got through that, and Brazil was severely hit with COVID, about 600,000 deaths, and they're still battling with it in some ways, but um, the Brazilians are very, very resilient people. They're very, very loving people, and very, very good people, and so uh, we've been there, and it was interesting. I work with a young Brazilian pastor. He's Now he's 52. For me, he's young. Uh, 52-year-old pastor, and when he was 10 years old, this pastor, his name is Sidney, was uh, had, was had piano lessons in the church that we started in 1980, 42 years ago. And uh, he was a little 10-year-old guy who had piano lessons in our church. Well, today he leads a church congregation, and I am one of the pastors on his team. The, the day of the American leading everything in Brazil has gone. Praise God, it worked. <laughs> That's the whole idea, to work yourself out of the job. And so I went back with Pam in uh, 2005 because we're working with families and with spiritual formation and other things that kind of a niche little spot that we still feel like they can have a voice there that has an, an accent with it, like my voice does in Portuguese. And and so I've had the joy of being working with Sijini for the past 13 years. And the church that he planted... Uh, 13 years ago, up until the pandemic, grew to 7,000 people. And uh, that's Brazil. Brazil is a place where evangelism and where church planning is still moving forward at a tremendous rate. Brazil sends missionaries all over the world. It's an amazing thing what God has done there. Well, as we were wanting to get a little bit control over, over our lives, Pam and I, we decided to move back to the city where we planted the church 42 years ago. 
so that we could calm down a bit. But that pastor, Sijini, he doesn't calm down. So, you know, we have a little saying in our church that says, God loves us, and Pastor Sijini has a plan for our life. You know, so he's one of those kind of pastors. And so I went away to get kind of a little bit of a rest, and he decided to buy a property with the help of a Brazilian family here in the United States, a Brazilian family that became very rich here, made a lot of money here, and they wanted to help their their nation, Brazil, and so they bought a piece of property. It's like 270,000 square meters. It's, that's a lot of acreage. And it's going to be a hotel and a youth camp and a whole bunch of stuff. Well, he puts it within 15 minutes of where I live. So now he says, you need to help me start a church, another, another campus from our church or a congregation from our church. And I said, well, okay, we'll do that. So on March 16, 2020, we had a meeting and we had 70 interested people in planting this church. And on the next day, the 17th, COVID hit the country and everything closed down. So we literally planted that church online. I did all the discipleship, all the counseling, all the preaching online for seven months. Then we finally got to open the church up and we had to come in with limited amount of space and everybody with mask and all that sort of stuff. And we went through that for the last two and a half, two years. <clears throat> so it'd be two years complete here in this coming March. But now we have a congregation of 350 people. So we, st- we started the church online uh, in the middle of a pandemic. But Brazil is such a fertile place and such an open place that it's amazing to watch, watch what God is doing. So... I just want to give you some good news about what God is doing around the world, but particularly in Brazil. But Pam and I also work in Portugal. I go to Portugal every year. I've been there 17 different times. And the situation in Portugal is totally different because in Portugal, there are 10 million people. In Brazil, there are 220 million people. But Portugal is 10 million people, and the population of evangelical Christians in Portugal is 65,000 after about 120 years of missions work. It's, it's very difficult there. So we do a lot of work there, and we've also been able to work in Chile and other places like that. And we're kind of in that place where we can move about. I don't have all the responsibilities of a lead pastor that I've had over the years, but uh, God is doing amazing things. And we see that God continues to work here in the United States, which makes our heart extremely happy. So God bless you. Thank you for supporting us all these years. And thank you for loving us. And I know I can always come here and always get a word of encouragement and be blessed. I want to talk to you tonight about um, discipleship across the world. Uh, Discipleship is what Jesus commanded us to do. He said, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Immerse people in the history of God. That's the way I interpret that. It's like baptizing a person in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit is literally immerse the person into the history of God. Bury them into the voice and the wind and the will, the Trinity. And when they come up out of the water, then they will be declaring that they are ready to work in cooperation with God, which would be discipleship. And I've come to believe that we have to be aware of the context that surrounds us. We have to be aware if we're in a Portuguese-speaking country 
or we're in another country somewhere in Africa or in China or wherever we're at, we certainly have to be aware of the context and know the people to whom we're trying to communicate the things of God. But discipleship is not different in Brazil than it is in the United States. It's not different. It's it, because discipleship is leading people to cooperate fully with Jesus. At its most fundamental level, discipleship is about taking people to Jesus and leaving them there. It's not about taking them to your church primarily. Um, I came to church as a kid on a bus route. Dr. Verl Ackerman was leading First Baptist of West Hollywood for many, many years. He's my spiritual father and my was my pastor. But I came to the church on a, on a bus where those bus workers would get up early in the morning every Sunday about 7 a.m., and they would be on those buses taking care of kids until about 2 in the afternoon with no air conditioning. I mean, they were soldiers out there doing that, and they came by my house and picked me up and took me to the church, and on October 22nd, 1967, I received Christ as my Savior. Uh, through that ministry. And, but sometimes people think, you know what? You, we need to get people attached to our church. I'm still attached to that home church. I'll never forget what that church means to me. But discipleship is really about getting people face-to-face with Jesus. It's really about taking people to Jesus and leaving them there. And then when they walk away, you take them back. And when they walk away, you take them back. And when you walk away, and one day, they stop walking away. So I use, in Brazil, a very simple methodology to disciple people. It's not complicated, but I'd like to share it with you tonight um, because I really believe it, it is an easy way to think about what you might be doing with friends that you have that need to be discipled or people that are have not yet accepted Christ. And it's not difficult, but it's profound. Uh, You can spend a lot of time meditating on these things. Basically has uh, four things that we need to do with people. The first we need to do is we need to get people to see Jesus clearly. To see Jesus clearly. And the only place you can do that is in the scriptures. Because we, we have in the scriptures... Uh, the four Gospels that have been given to us so that we can enter the story of God's presence here in the world through Jesus. And that's why it's so important when you're discipling people that you take them into the stories of Jesus. How many of you remember what a flannel graph is? Uh, Remember that? You're old. If you can remember what a flannel graph is, you know. I remember as a kid, we would get our Sunday school lessons with a flannel graph. You know, that was just, but they were, I can still remember the Sunday school teachers telling us the story of Jesus walking on the water. I can still picture uh, this flannel graph of of the the crucifixion. Um, Because when when you see Jesus correctly, it allows you to see everything else correctly. It, it's, a, it's a miracle what happens. When you, when you see Jesus clearly, you see yourself clearly. You remember what it says that he came, he came not to condemn, 
He did not come to condemn us, but to save us. But men love darkness more than light, and they would not come into his light. Because when you see Jesus correctly and clearly, it will alter you. You know, we can, we can preach at people all day long about what they should and should not be doing. But if you can ever get people to see Jesus clearly, it almost automatically begins the cleansing process as they compare themselves to Jesus. It's a very powerful part of discipleship. And uh, you should never underestimate the power of what it means to see Jesus. There's a beautiful, beautiful verse, one of the most beautiful verses, some of the most beautiful verses in our Bible. It says this in John chapter 1. He came unto his own. It's talking about Jesus. And his own received him not, but as many as received him. To to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word, and that that is the living word, that is the word that was God, was with God, that's Jesus Christ, who spoke into visibility everything that we see. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And here's something that's really interesting. <clears throat> if you've had somebody love you in your lifetime deeply, if somebody has loved you deeply, you can still see them in your mind. Isn't that true? You know, my mother died in 1992. Uh, my father died when I was 10 years old. <clears throat> and my father was an alcoholic. But in his own way, my dad loved me. And the few memories that I have of him taking me fishing and teaching me to fish and to do other things um, are still here. Because when someone has loved you in a consistent, continuous way, they become unforgettable. My dad has been gone since 1961 out of my life. But this is still true. If he came through those doors tonight, of all the men in the world, he could still stop my world. That's, that's the power of, of love, even for a little while. And if you can ever get people to see the depth of Jesus' love, And if they get it in their mind that that love is for them and it's permanent, they will always be able to see Jesus. Now, when I'm coaching people or discipling people, they'll say, well, I don't know how to see him. I said, well, it's not real hard. Uh, Just take the book of John and read the stories of Jesus, the story about the, the turning water into wine and the woman at the well and the man who was paralyzed for all those years and he And he freed him from that. And I said, now get those pictures in your mind. And then walk with those pictures all the way up to the cross. And you'll have in your mind a way to always be able to see the one who loves you and will never stop loving you. So discipleship is to get people to see Jesus correctly. In Brazil, we have many people who are illiterate, even to this day. 
But the interesting thing about the illiterate disciple is sometimes they can put your theology to shame. Because without all the resources that you and I have with our Bibles and our great preachers on the radio, an illiterate person, they are focused on the person of Jesus. And most of them are very poor and very isolated. But boy, I'll tell you what, I always ask Brazilians this. I would say to Brazilian pastors, tell me, who is the best Christian in your church? And they will almost always say, Dona Maria. And Dona means Mrs. Mrs. Mary. A lot of Mrs. Mary in Brazil. And I said, what do you mean? She's, she doesn't even know how to read. He said, ah, no, she doesn't know how to read. But boy, does she love Jesus. So discipling people is to get them to observe and watch and see Jesus. And I think that the most uh, pertinent advice that I could give to you is, Wake up in the morning seeing Jesus. You say, well, I I can't do it. Yeah, you can. Just as you're waking up, just open up that Bible that you've got in your mind. You've been to thousands of church services. And just picture him turning water into wine or walking on the water or opening the blind man's eyes. And remember this, that's the person who lives in you by the Holy Spirit. So you see him. You see him. There's a verse in 2 Corinthians that says this. While we look not at things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. All of the things that we see, this beautiful auditorium, this beautiful property, All of this is temporary. All of this is temporary. My body is temporary. Your body is temporary. The U.S. government is temporary. But Jesus is not temporary. You remember the story of Moses when he went up on the mount? And when he came, his face was so radiant because he'd looked into the face of God, so to speak, or he'd seen God up close. And his life, his his face was so radiant that the people couldn't even look at him, so he put a veil over his face. But the scriptures say we don't have that veil. We can look directly at Jesus. Remember what Jesus said? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So when I'm discipling people, I try to get them completely focused on the person who was here nearly 2,000 years ago and say to them, keep your eyes on Jesus. The second thing that, we do, that I do is I try to get people to hear him. Hear him. Uh, we live in a world of voices, do we not? Your cell phone, my cell phone, there's just too many voices. There are too many people trying to get us to stop doing something or start doing something or rethink something. It's an amazing world in which we live, but it's a very confusing world. A disciple must be trained to hear the voice of Jesus as the final voice. 
on every subject. Every subject. Jesus never gave opinions. He never said, I think so. Or it might be. He never gave opinions. He told the truth. He lived the truth. And we need someone with us who knows our name and can get our attention immediately. And a a disciple should be trained to pay attention to when Jesus Christ wants to talk. I think the verse in Colossians says it best for me when it says, um, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Don't let your opinion rule in your heart. Do not lean your own understanding. Be sensitive to this voice. It's a quiet voice. He never screams and yells. He, 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 he just calls your name. And when you recognize that you're being talked to by Jesus, I know there's lots of ways that he talks to all of us, but I have experienced a personal conversation with Jesus about me. Very intimate subjects. He comes to me and instructs me in very deep ways. I love this passage in John 10. It says, Verily, verily, I say to you, he that entereth not by the door of the sheephole, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber, but he who entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spake Jesus unto them, that they, but they understood not what things which he spake to them. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known by mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so now I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold. That would be Brazil. You know, other sheep I have that are not of this fold, for instance. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. There's only one way that every Christian that's alive right now can be unified, and that is if they are individually hearing Jesus at the same time you and I are hearing Jesus. There is power in his voice. I'll give you a practical illustration so that maybe you can take this and use this. I've been married now for uh, almost 51 years. And um, when I married Pam when I was 20 years old, I was a new convert. I had accepted Jesus at age 16. Pam came from a wonderful Christian family. She was spiritually light years ahead of me. But I loved Pam with all of my heart. I was so shocked that she said yes when I asked her to marry me that I felt like I'd, you know, won a Christian lottery of some kind, you know, and it was like I couldn't believe she said yes. But as soon as we got married, because of the trauma of my father's death in my life and because of other things, I had a lot of fears and I had a lot of bad uh, things in my life that God needed to work on. And I remember that I, I loved Pam so much that I nearly suffocated her with protection. I don't know if this makes any sense, but it's like 
I, I was so shocked she said yes that I put her inside of a gold cage. I didn't want her to get a driver's license. I would drive her. I didn't want her to go to the shopping center by herself. I would go with her. That, that wasn't health. That was sickness. That was fear. And I very nearly destroyed my relationship with Pam. And if it had not been for the, the de- deep faith and love for Jesus that she has, I probably would have blew my marriage to pieces. But I didn't know how to stop myself. I, I, I didn't, I'd had good intentions. I didn't know how to stop myself. But somewhere along the line, I began to realize that when this feeling of control that I was c- carrying over her, came upon me, I, I had a way of stopping it. And it was real simple. I would ask Jesus, Jesus, do you want me to treat her this way? Now, I've been married 51 years, and I've asked that question thousands of times. And never once has he said, treat her that way. Because he will never affirm your flesh. If I'm in a I-95 and I'm getting ticked off because somebody cut me off, the old bud, I had a pretty bad vocabulary before I got saved. I've got a good vocabulary since saved, but I just have transported in, into Christian curse words. You know what I mean? Like you kind of like purified them a little bit. But the intent is still bad. I'd like to kill somebody, right? So when I'm on I-95 and I get ticked off, I... I don't want to express that old guy. My flesh never improves. But I say, Jesus, do you want me to get upset about this? You you want to know how many times he said, yeah, get upset? He never says that to me. You can have a relationship with Jesus where he is the brakes. He's the gas pedal. He's the one that says yes or no. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. So I teach people to let Jesus speak to them in a personal way, and to listen to his voice. I I think we need to maybe think about that more. The third thing is love him. Love him. He says, as a father hath loved me, so I have loved you. Continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken unto you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Listen to this. It's really kind of strange. He said, ye are my friends. If you do whatsoever, I command you. I remember reading that the first time I said, that sounds like he only is going to love me if I obey his commands. Is that really love? It's almost like he's, it didn't sound right to me until I understood this, that there's only one way in the world that I can express to Jesus that I love him. And that is by loving you. At the same time, I'm loving him. If I want to tell Jesus that I love him, then I can't be hating somebody he loves. And I can't be talking bad about people he loves. So he's saying to me, you want want to show me you love me? Then love those I love. And do you know what? He loves the sinners out here tonight in this city 
enough to die for them like he died for you and for me. When you abide in his love, then you, you, it's, it's like you're saying, you gave the very best to me. So in your name, I'm going to give my very best to them. Remember when Peter denied Jesus three times? And then Jesus finds him fishing. And he pulls him out of the boat and brings a bunch of fish. And he feeds him. And then he asks Peter this question three times. Do you love me? He didn't ask him. You think you'll get it right the next time, Peter? Can you try a little harder next time not to abandon me? And then he, he just says, do you love me? And Peter got frustrated because he asked him three times. And finally he says, you know everything. You know that I love you. And then he says, take care of my sheep. I, I understand that to mean this, that if I can get someone to see Jesus and help them see Jesus clearly, and I can get them listening to Jesus, and then if I can encourage them to love others the way they have been loved by Jesus, then that person is beginning to live discipleship. Because the goal of discipleship is to have our love perfected. In, in Matthew chapter 5, it says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That, that idea is like, what? That's the most optimistic statement ever made about humanity, that our love could actually be perfected. Because, not because we perfected it, but because perfect love casts out fear. And, and if you still have fear, your love, love is not perfected, it says in First John. So when I talk to people, I say to them, listen, I, people say to me all the time, I don't go to church anymore. It, well, okay, you were probably going for the wrong reason to begin with. Because you don't go there to get what you need. You go there to love the people Jesus loves. And some of the people Jesus loves are strange. <laughs> Extra grace required. You know what I mean? And I used to think that I'd preach so well that my church would fill up with people that were all well. And then I realized that a church is more like a hospital. God sends a lot of sick people where people are getting healed. So I have to love people because he loves. So if I can get people to see Jesus, I think they're going in the right direction. If I get them to hear Jesus, it's even better. If I can get them to love Jesus, they're beginning to relax and calm down. This is what I experienced. And the last thing that I would give them, I would a challenge and say, live him. And they'll always ask, what do you mean live him? Um, what I mean by live him is what Paul said. When Paul said in Galatians, I am crucified with Christ. Meaning, I'm already dead. Death has nothing over me anymore. That's over. Death is over. I'm alive to God. Nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ. He's, I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And when I say live him, I, I, I say to the disciple, don't go out alone ever. Go alone with Jesus one day at a time. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So disciple people 
is to take them to Jesus and leave them there. Now, why would I say leave them there? Because we have a tendency to want to control disciples. And I don't think that Christianity is about controlling people. It's about inviting people. Uh, Dr. Ackerman, who was my spiritual father, I can't ever remember him trying to control me. But he was the first person in my life who ever believed I could go to college. He was the first person in my life who believed I could preach. He was the first person in my life that ever looked at me like maybe I had some potential. Why was that? It's because that's what a Christian does. You take people to Jesus because Jesus can see everything about you correctly and lead you in the path that he has for you. I can't even imagine how different my life would be if it had not been for disciples of Jesus loving me. I can't imagine what it would have been like for me if I had been left to myself. Uh, Some people have histories of great heartache in churches, and I've had my share. But even with all of our defects and even with all of our problems, I still believe that if a church will just take people to Jesus and take them to Jesus and take them to Jesus, then you never know where that one you took to Jesus is going to end up in this world. And you never know what they're going to be able to do. And you'll look up one day and you'll go, wow, I never dreamed I could see that person change that much. But if you ask the person, like if you were asking me, how did you how did you have a marriage of 51 years? I would say it's a miracle of God. It's the grace of God. It was given to me. One day at a time, and it will survive one day at a time. The grace of this day is enough. So I want to encourage you in your community, and you do this, I just by listening to all of the events and the opportunities, uh, just keep taking, taking people to Jesus. Help them see him. Help them hear him. Don't become the voice of God in other people's lives. Let Jesus be the voice of God in other people's lives. Let him speak to them. I know it sounds scary that, well, they're going to go into something stupid. Well, you're not going to be able to stop them. With your voice, the voice that will start them and stop them needs to be the voice of Jesus. Teach them to abide in his love and to love everyone Jesus loves like Jesus loves them. And then as you're doing that, just keep encouraging them to keep living Jesus, keep living Jesus. I don't know how much longer I'll be in this world, but I know what my plan is. I'm going to keep seeing him, hearing him, loving him, and living him until my last breath in this world. That's my plan. It's worked super well so far. I see no reason why it can't keep on going for all eternity. God bless you. I'm wondering how many of you are out there, and if you think about it, You got saved 
because you met somebody who lived Jesus to you. You saw Jesus in them. You knew they were different than you. And if you really think about it, that had an impact in bringing you to Christ. Would you lift your hand? Okay, you got your hand up. Now I'm going to go one step further. I want their name. You got their name in your mind? Al. Bob Bowers? Hobbs. Malcolm? My granddad. If I was to raise my hand, I'd have to say my dad. Somebody else? Your Aunt Blanca. Your parents. Ruthie? Your mom. You were saved in Venezuela? God saves people in Venezuela too, doesn't he? You see that person? Let me ask this question. How many of you after being saved are better Christians because you had somebody in your life disciple you seeing, hearing, loving, and living Jesus? Not prior to salvation. That person brought you to Christ. But after you were saved, a brother or a sister in church or somewhere met you and you you wanted to model your life after them. They invested in you. They discipled. They presented Christ to you. And when nobody else could kind of change you, that impact in your life, you had that person in your life. Randy, who was it? John Moran. He's dead with Lou Gehrig's disease. I met him. Hank, who was that guy? Lewis Sams. Somebody over here? Erica? Erica Barron. Esteban? Harold G. Todd. Esteban, you're like E.F. Hutton, man. When you speak, people just want to listen. Everything that comes out of your mouth is just makes me want to salute. <laughs> Renee? The members of Plantation Baptist Church. Yeah. My dad lived this. And when I was, my sin nature was coming on me. I was saved as a kid. I knew I was a sinner. I just didn't know how wicked a sinner I was. Until I got in high school and my sin nature came on me. And what you said about no voice could change you. No control could happen. I grew up in a preacher's home and My dad didn't try to control me, but he saw Jesus, he heard Jesus, he loved Jesus, and he lived Jesus. And when I was seven, my father-in-law did too. And when I was 17 years of age in Pontiac, Michigan, I broke. And my father-in-law was there, and I fell on my face before God. And I I started a life of discipleship at at that point in time. How many want to be this person to somebody else? Yeah, we're all measuring our lives tonight, aren't we? Take people to Jesus. When they see him clearly, they see themselves. When you see Jesus clearly, you see him as the son of God. You see him as the savior of the world. You see him as the sacrifice for your sin. You initially see yourself as dirty and sinful and a mess. You think you're in charge, but you're not. You see his love. You see his sacrifice. You see his payment. And you want him to be your Lord and Savior. You want him to come into your heart. You want him to cleanse you. And you want, him to, you want to give him your life.
If you're here tonight and you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, the greatest thing you could do is give your heart to Christ. You could do that tonight where you sit. Christian, you can't take people somewhere you've never been. can't take people somewhere you've never been. So you can't take people to Jesus clearly, and you can't take people to hear Jesus, and you can't take people to love Jesus, and you can't take people to live Jesus in a discipleship way if you're not there yourself. So now your pastor is going to ask you a question eyeball to eyeball. Are you living a life right now with the Lord where the pastor could call on you and say, could you disciple this person? Could you, could you be Jesus in this person's life? Sometimes I go to ask people to do that and they cringe within themselves and I look at you as capable but you cringe within yourself because we all know ourselves. So I'm just asking the Wednesday night Bible crowd, which is the best spiritual crowd we have in the church. Sorry for those of you that are watching online. Right now, could you do this? If not, we need to get to the place with our Lord where we can do this. I don't know what that looks like in your life. But you heard a man of God stand up here and present a loving God and a love for the Lord that should have created a thirst in our lives. Think about your wife. Think about your husband. Think about your children. Think about your home. Think about your grandchildren. Men, all of those people need us to be that man. Ladies, our homes need this. Churches need this. People will come to churches that take them to Jesus. We're testimony of that. Let's keep it going that way. You preach great. You preach great. Touch my heart. Thank you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you feel the presence of the Lord in this place. We've been spoken to in a very powerful and poignant and purposeful way about discipleship. This is the responsibility of the church. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. You can't be discipled until you're first saved. You can't be a discipler until you're saved. The first act of discipleship is salvation. Born again, dwelt by God, dwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, alive in Christ. Ears to hear, eyes to see. No longer the natural man, but the new creation in Christ. And then from there, the work of God begins as we see Jesus, hear Him, understand His love and love like Him, live like Him. All of us have had that influence in our lives. It's a shame that we're not that influence to somebody else. I pray tonight for God's people. I pray for our church that we would 
individually come to you, our Savior, tonight. Rid ourselves of any baggage or any sin or anything that is holding us away. And we would be yielded of ourselves and filled with you, Holy Spirit of God. And that, Lord, you would reign supreme in our lives. That we could be powerful disciplers to those that are walking with the Lord and to those that need to know the Lord as an example of the great salvation that you have and are. Lord, if there be anybody here tonight that's not a Christian, but they would know tonight that they would love to give their heart to the Lord, I pray you would give me a moment here with them. I wonder with heads bowed and eyes closed and nobody looking, just a moment with the pastor. You're here tonight and you're not a believer. But God has been showing himself to you. You're running into him everywhere in your world, your mind, your work, your relationships, your thoughts. You've come to church tonight and you've heard about the loving Savior who died for your sin. Who loves you, wants to be your Lord and Savior, wants to redeem you. And tonight you would want to open your heart to him and receive him as your as your own personal Lord. Pastor, I am not a believer But right where I sit tonight, if I could be saved, I'd like to be saved. Don't embarrass me. Don't call my name. But I would be willing to give my heart to the Lord right where I am tonight. If that's you, I'm the only one looking. Would you just slip your hand up quick and let me acknowledge you with a God bless you? And then you could put it down. Anybody tonight? Pastor, right where I sit, I'd be willing to give my heart to the Lord. I can show you how from the pulpit in your seat privately. Pastor, I would like that. Okay. Father, no one raised their hand, but that doesn't mean you're not working in their heart. I pray that, Holy Spirit of God, that you continue this work. I lift the McCords to you. I pray your richest blessing and protection and direction in their life. What a joy it is to partner with them in the ministry of the gospel. Again, I lift the Bill Rice Ranch to you, God. What a joy it is to partner with them as well in the reaching of people with the gospel. Use Plantation Baptist Church as a lighthouse in this community to continue to see souls saved and people discipled for the glory of the Lord. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've been blessed tonight, say amen. Wonderful. I will ask you to do two things. Make sure to greet the Rice family. Let them know we're praying for them. We love them. Don't forget if you want to help with the ranch. They didn't ask me to do this. I'm doing this all on my own. Put something in there. I'll join it with that. Come by and see our missionaries. Greet them. Shake their hand. And tell them we'll be praying for them. If you're our guest tonight, thank you for being here. I'll invite you back on Wednesday night. We have a song to go out on, right? We sang, Oh, How I Love Jesus to start. Now we're going to sing, Oh, How He Loves You and Me, right? That's a great way. Good job, Rod. Let's stand. God bless you. See you back on Sunday. God bless you. You are dismissed.